0: Welcome back to the program. In a world in which change and adaptation is often considered one of the hardest things we do, our guest today, Oliver Sacks, has for years been explaining to us how human beings adapt and navigate the world in spite of often seemingly debilitating physical losses. In his personal stories and the stories of others, we see not only hope, but a greater understanding of the power of our mind and body to help us see the world and navigate the world in whole new ways. Oliver Sacks is a practicing physician. He's the author of 10 previous books, including The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat and Awakenings. He is a professor of neurology and psychiatry at Columbia University Medical Center and the first Columbia University artist. It is my pleasure to welcome Oliver Sacks back to this program to talk about his latest work, The Mind's Eye. Oliver Sacks, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Okay, to be with you. Delight
0: to have you here. It it is remarkable what we continue to find out in terms of the way the brain continues to adapt to help us to make up for whatever shortcomings we might have. Talk a little about that.
1: Um, Yes, well, um, until about 20 or 30 years ago, um, uh, it was thought that um, things were pretty... Rigidly organised in the brain, and that if there was damage, you would you would lose a function, and that was that. Um, we now have much more feeling of the brain's ability to adapt and to learn and, and to be plastic, um, and uh, one um, one sees this very very strikingly in uh, in, in children, but but. This plasticity, this ability to change is there throughout life. And um, uh, and I think I think without it, um, all sorts of things would be very, very difficult.
0: One of the things that you spend a great deal of time talking about in the mind's eye is your own personal experience with vision. Tell us a little about that.
1: Um, the, well, I, I threw in my own experience because... I also became a patient um, and um, uh, six years ago I was uh, found to have a a malignant tumor in the right eye um, and I had all sorts of um, frightening but fascinating symptoms from this and um, I think one way of uh, trying to control some of my fear in the sense of being passive in face of things was to was to investigators and keep a journal uh, of which there are excerpts in the uh in the book mm-hmm. um i um, there were many many things which amazed me one of them was the brain's ability to fill in an area of blindness sometimes quite a large area um um Provided there was a um, uh, provider the brain knew about the environment all around it. Um, uh, on on one occasion, I remember uh, looking up at the sky with my blind spot. It was a lovely cloudless day. The blind spot then immediately became blue, like the sky. So I could no longer distinguish it. It was camouflaged or filled in. But then some birds came along and they vanished as they got into that area and reappeared the the other side. That was very startling. Um, I I had all sorts of um, uh, distortions of vision, and finally, um, uh, after about two years, I I lost all central vision in that eye, and um, with that, I. I lost the power of seeing in depth of stereoscopic vision. Um, I've um, uh, I've loved stereo vision all my life. I did stereophotography. I was a member of the New York Stereoscopic Society, and um, I was extremely conscious of of depth, and uh, and now, alas, I'm extremely conscious of flatness, um, although I I, I, I have various ways of dealing with this.
0: One of the things that that you talk about is all of the strange paradoxes with respect to how people see. That people can have perfectly good vision and not recognize their own children. The way people with no vision can become hypervisual. Talk a little bit about that and what it tells us about how the mind deals with the issue of vision.
1: Um, well, the. Um uh, the um, the brain has many many different levels by which one constructs uh, vision, and um, uh, and it's possible to have damage in one area, um, which allows you to see or hear perfectly well, um, but not not to know what you're seeing or hearing. Uh, this. Um, This came up with two of the people whom I describe in in the book. One of them was a Canadian novelist who who felt fine, had breakfast, went out to get the daily paper, which looked okay as it lay on the doorstep. But when he looked at it more closely, he found it was unintelligible in that he'd lost the ability to read. Um, Although he found he could still write this was a strange paradox that one can write fluently but one may not be able to read what one has written different parts of the brain are involved Uh, being a writer he thought this was catastrophic but then things became easier for him it turned out that his he or his brain quite unconsciously were using a new way of reading basically he was copying what his eyes saw with movements of the tongue uh, on the back of his teeth or on his, the roof of his mouth and uh, he was reading by writing with his tongue mm. I, mean, I I found that an amazing example of adaptation um, but, but with your other thought uh, the visual blind um, uh, at one time I thought that our uh, If people lost their sight in adult life, they might become unable to remember seeing or to imagine seeing. And I read one book where this was apparently the case. and I wrote an essay about it, but then I got dozens of of puzzled and sometimes indignant letters from blind people who said that although they had lost their sight 20 or 30 years earlier, they were very visual, in fact, more visual than they'd ever been. And, um, I, uh, and visual, visual imagination and the ability to visualize can be heightened in blindness As the ability to hear things from the mind can be heightened in deafness i mean beethoven would be the the most famous example of that Mm -hmm. um and um basically no part of the brain will just stop functioning half the brain is devoted to vision and if you're not getting anything in through the eyes uh you will you will sort of that part of the vision for itself uh, uh, or become very very sensitive to other senses to touch and hearing which can partly take over the visual cortex and blind people.
0: One of the things that is also so fascinating about this is how it often happens in in people of an older age you know we think of the brain as being plastic and rewiring itself up to a certain point but what we 're finding is that more and more, even in the senior years, all of this rewiring can still take place
1: um, Yes well, well um, learning can take place till one 's final day, and um, i, I don 't think an animal or a person could could survive properly unless this some of this plasticity indeed a good deal of it remained um, uh, and this again is partly a new insight and this was brought to me. So many things are brought to me by by a patient or a subject. I'm not sure what to call her. <laughs> um, you know, um, people send me letters. They they um, they phone me. They knock on the door. This is um, and then a new sort of neurological adventure starts. One of these uh, was um, with, with a woman who was born with a severe. Um, uh, crossed eyes and, um, and although she'd had surgery for that um, each eye was really operating separately so that she, she didn't have any stereo vision and um, uh, the, the accepted knowledge is that if you don't have stereovision, binocular vision by the age of two you'll never get it but in fact she got it at the age of 50 Um, And um, uh, to her intense surprise um, and to her great delight, I mean, she found the visual world much richer and more interesting. I I got this letter and was very fascinated and I, um, I took a couple of colleagues. Um, and friends and we drove off to Massachusetts where she was because I could hardly believe the story but in fact it was absolutely true she had good stereo vision and um, she herself as I wrote about her and she herself has now written a book and and in this area um I think hundreds of thousands of people who assumed they had no hope of stereo vision you know, um, are now alerted. You, one doesn't get it easily. One, one may have to work very hard and may not be available to anyone. But 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 there I, I, I had the feeling that there were, you know, people who could be helped by publishing this one case of someone who'd achieved it in an imposs- seemingly impossible way at the age of 50.
0: Is there a danger that some of these stories give people a kind of false hope sometimes? Um,
1: I think there, there is this danger, and I, I, I hedge everything around with reservations, um, as I do when I when I see people as patients. I say, you know, I, 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 I nothing can be promised, but I will I will listen and observe and think as carefully as I can, and consult colleagues and, and learn more, and I hope. You know, one can do something one can help but i but i'm i'm very sensitive to the notion of of false promise
0: one of the things that we, we seem to continually be learning more about is how we read what our potential for reading is i mean writing reading writing's been around for 5000 years and yet there's something that, that we're finding that seems to be hardwired into us in terms of our ability to read
1: um certainly if people lose the ability to read like this uh, Canadian novelist um, one, one finds in his case it was a stroke uh, one finds that a particular part of the brain in, in the left hemisphere is damaged and that part of the brain does seem to be specialized for reading but, um, but one feels it can't be Hardwired because, as you say, reading and writing have only been around five thousand years, and that 's not long enough for evolution to do anything um, and also of course, one has to um, uh, one has to learn to read one finds that in illiterate people uh, that that area is much less developed or it is used for other functions and um, uh, this again, and this probably applies to music and art and many, many things, that um, uh, um, parts of the brain, functions of the brain may be developed by evolution for one purpose, but we can then re-employ them for another. And this part of the brain, which is used for recognizing our visual environment, can be retrained to um, uh, to read or recognize cars, or, or, or to any form of, of visual expertise, but, 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 but reading is the most complicated and, and wonderful. Um, incidentally, if that same part of the brain gets abnormally stimulated, which might happen in, in a seizure, in an epileptic seizure, um, then people have hallucinations of print uh, or, or of music.
0: In the modern world, where things are changing so rapidly, where information is coming at us so quickly—all visual information, oral information—all of it—to to what what are we finding in terms of the brain's ability to adapt to that?
1: Um, well, we're seeing how um, how the next generation or two, how our children or grandchildren, you know, can be wizards, digital wizards, in a way which. Um, uh, which older generations can't manage uh, I um, I think it's clear that, that um, you know new powers are being um, demanded and opened up in the brain by new technology as must have happened three or four thousand years ago or whenever it was that that, that writing appeared um, uh, I think that one of the fears which people have is that um, old fashioned literacy and reading may may disappear in a sort of frantically visual world and um, uh, um, although, although of course the brain has has room for for every sort of expertise both old fashioned old fashioned reading and and new fashioned Uh, digital displays. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, I I do think the the notion of multitasking, uh, which is a a very favorite one, (laughs) is a bit of a delusion. I think the, the human brain and the animal brain is not good at multitasking and if people feel they're doing half a dozen things, they're not doing any of them with full attention.
0: I mean, I guess the the other part of it is that the degree to which it is kind of a zero-sum game for the brain, that if we, we have to adapt to certain things and learn how to do things anew, that it, we pay a price for it somewhere else.
1: Um, well, we, we may pay a price for it. Um, uh, um, you know, if one looks at television all the while, uh, or, or, or at a screen, um, and uh, um, sort of um, uh, reading may, may atrophy a bit, or, or just fail to develop. But I, I don't think one necessarily pays a price. What I think we need to do is is, is to um, be able to integrate the new technologies. With, with the old one. Um, incidentally, um, uh, 2,500 years ago, Socrates um, um, was worried about writing. Socrates himself never wrote a word. His entire life consisted of speaking, and he thought that writing might be a danger, <laughs> uh, that if people got things on paper, they would, uh, their memories would atrophy and their powers of concentration would atrophy. And uh, so, so these fears of paying a price <laughs> have been around for, for thousands of years.
0: What is all of this teaching us about how creativity works in the arts, in literature, in music?
1: Um, well, that is a, a, very, a very big question. Um, the, um, uh, in music, for example... Um, uh, um, early training is essential for the, the musical parts of the brain to develop. And, and the musical brain is a little bit like the reading brain. Um, some of music uh, um, may be hardwired, but um, um, much, much of it is just re-employing parts of the brain developed for other purposes um, I think you can't be creative in music unless you know the grammar of music and the basics of music unless they're almost autom- automatic in one. Um, and uh, so, um, uh, but when things are automatic, the, um, uh, I think the brain is inherently creative at, at many different levels i think you see this in dreaming at night you know we're, 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 we all have sort of curious and fantastic and imaginative dreams um you see this sometimes in, in 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 hallucinations which which you may get if the visual parts of the brain are are excited or some blind people get them and uh they can be um quite wild and take all sorts of forms, um, the brain plays with the possibilities. The brain is always, always active. But if there is a central interest uh, in, in anything, I think one, one becomes creative around that.
0: Oliver Sacks. His new book is The Mind's Eye. Oliver, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Oh, okay. Thank you.
1: Um, well, the, my, my next book, which will be on hallucinations, will come out next year. So perhaps we'll meet again then.
0: We'll look forward to it. Oliver Sacks, The Mind's okay. Eye. We'll take a break.
1: I'll be right back.